Welcome to the Deep Dietitians Podcast, where Michelle and Lucy having raw and honest conversations. We want you to eat with confidence and feel empowered to take on your life without obsessing over food. Hello, hello, Deep Dietitian listeners. I'm so grateful for you. It's Lucy. I will be doing a solo cast, a solo podcast episode today. Michelle is traveling. And you know what? Today I was getting really fired up about why diets suck. And I have Michelle's go ahead to record this for you because, man, especially right now at the beginning of the year when so many people feel pressured to go on diets and make New Year's resolutions revolving around health and weight and food and diet. This is a really important message. So I really wanted to bring this to you today because this is why personally I'm so passionate about bringing a little bit more of a compassionate approach to nutrition and realizing that nutrition shouldn't be about dieting and weight loss. And you might even be having some resistance to that, but hopefully throughout this episode, you will see why dieting, and we're going to get into the definitions and stuff like that, but just why dieting is really not helpful. It's actually quite detrimental to health, despite what the $72 billion industry would have you believe. So Before we get started, I want to just give you a little bit of a disclaimer that we will be talking about weight, weight change, diets, eating disorder, behaviors, etc. So if you're not ready to hear that, please skip this episode. And along those lines, I want to give another disclaimer that because I will be presenting some studies that talk about the effects of dieting and the effects on health and, and weight in relationship to food, it doesn't mean that I am colluding, nor should you collude with diet culture. I just want to give you a little bit more of what the science and studies out there right now seem to show about what happens when we engage in dieting. So my intention is for this to come off as objectively as possible. Obviously, you know that I'm very anti-diet, but this hopefully will just show you why I am so passionate about the anti-dieting method, because I think that your health is way better off when you focus on And this is the big takeaway when you focus on your behaviors and how your body feels versus the external measures and markers of what diet culture really says is success. And that relates to weight and the quality of your diet. And by that, I really mean like the clean eating and following a diet and being able to follow a diet. So I have a lot of reasons why dieting sucks. So diving in, I want to get first very clear on the definition of dieting that I will be using for this episode, because there's a lot of different ways that we use the word dieting, right? Diet can mean just the general food that you put into your body on a day-to-day basis. It can be a therapeutic medical diet aimed at helping your health based off of a given medical condition that you might have. But for the purpose of this episode, when I refer to dieting, I'm going to be talking about changing what you eat with the intention to lose weight. And I want to put it out there. If you haven't listened to the episode titled the complexities of weight loss that Michelle and I recorded, I believe it's episode eight. Definitely go back and listen to that because it's really easy when we hear this message that diets suck that weight loss is bad. And I don't, I don't want you to get that message that like weight change is bad. In fact, when your weight fluctuates, it's really incredibly normal as a human because we are not robots. Our bodies are meant to change and adapt, but it's really important that you identify the reasons that 
you are trying to get healthy, that weight loss might be occurring. So definitely go back and listen to that because if you're feeling confused by the the information I'm about to talk about and present to you, it's probably going to help you find a little bit of direction. And my intention is to steer you in the right direction. And that does not include dieting. (laughs) So again, before we really dive into it, I just want to be super clear that my intention is to bring you this evidence that is not prevalent in our culture because diet culture, again, is a $72 billion industry. That was a figure about 2018. So 2021, who knows? I imagine it's either growing or about the same. (laughs) I don't think it's decreased at all. So I just want you to know that there's a lot of we'll just say ugly truths about dieting and that there's a much better way to go about it. So I want you to know that, again, my intention is for you to improve your health. If you want to focus on health, really do it for health. Dieting is not going to lead you there. And I, I'm going to talk about this later in the episode, but there's a lot of evidence to support the fact that dieting is pretty detrimental to your health and doesn't really offer many benefits when actually focusing on behaviors leads like healthy habits and healthy behaviors, focusing on your body actually leads to better health markers and better, more sustainable health habits, healthier lifestyle in the long run. So I just want to put that out there up front. My intention for you is to really get a clearer idea of what does health look like? I really want you to have a good idea of health literacy and not diet literacy. Okay. I mean, diet literacy is good too. You want to know, know thy enemy, right? But um, I just want to get really clear before we really dive into my reasons. I don't want to overwhelm you, but there's a lot of reasons that diets suck. But before I really want to get my intention clear that I'm in it for your health, I'm in it for your benefit. And personally, as someone who I would really say, I I definitely tried diets before and I, I, I felt the very real backlash and whiplash from those effects. So I talk about this from a scientific perspective, having training, but also from my own personal experience with it. So let's dive in. So as we jump in, I want to give you an idea of what it looks like to not diet. So you can have this as a backboard to jump back to as we talk about dieting. So in my mind, the opposite of dieting is not dieting. This is measured with something called an intuitive eating scale. One of my favorite intuitive eating dietitians and friend, she is an amazing dietitian. Her name is Claire Tuning of Yours Truly Nutrition. I've heard her talk about intuitive eating as the way that we would eat if we weren't influenced by diet culture. So I like this as, uh, again, like a springboard to say this is pretty much how our bodies were designed to eat when we came into this world. And as we were kids and we go through the world, we are taught dieting because, again, it's just very ingrained in our culture. And this is what it would look like if you weren't affected by it. So It's measured by the intuitive eating scale. And I want you to know that these are skills that people work towards. So if you don't feel like you identify with this, that's okay. It's actually skills that intuitive eating dietitians and anti-diet dietitians can help you accomplish. It's just like the skill of learning a language at the beginning. You may not be very strong, but with more and more practice, you can, again, have a stronger ability with that skill. You can feel like you've acquired the skill. So there's a couple different ways that we measure this. So I'm going to give you two. The first one that was, that was created, it was broken down into three categories. Number one, giving yourself unconditional permission to eat when you're hungry and eating the food that you desire at that time. Number two, eating for physical instead of emotional reasons. And number three, reliance on internal hunger and satiety cues to determine how much and when to eat. Basically, when you say, oh, I'm hungry, you get to eat. When you're full, you stop, right? It sounds 
like common sense, which is so funny because we're like, how do we not do that? But if you've ever struggled with dieting or feeling like you're overeating or emotional eating, you can actually say like, wow, I can see times that I was hungry that I didn't eat or when I was full and I really didn't stop, or I was eating for definitely emotional reasons instead of physical ones. So Again, if you feel like you're out of control with these, or this isn't a skill set that you currently have right now, know that it's a skill set and you get to work on it and you can improve. So just because you might feel hopeless right now, and we're going to get into this diet culture makes you feel like it's your fault, et cetera. That's okay. So another scale or another set of criteria that I think is really helpful is broken down into four. So this is a little bit more updated. And I like this because it gives you a little bit more of a broader picture. It was first developed on the intuitive eating scale in 2006. So this one is a little bit more updated and I I think it's a little bit more up with the times. So the four categories are number one, intrinsic eating, which means eating based on inner cues. So things that we've talked about, like hunger, fullness, et cetera. Number two, extrinsic eating. So eating based on external influences. So this can be your mood, your social situation, the availability of food, which I think is really important because right, if we're at a restaurant versus our home or versus we don't have access to food that can definitely influence your eating behavior. Number three, anti-dieting. So this means not eating based on diet information, good or bad lists, calorie counting, and the desire and or the desire for weight loss. The fourth criteria is self-care. So body acceptance and taking care of your body regardless of size. Again, when you look at this objectively, it seems very common sense, right? It seems like, oh, of course, when you're hungry, you eat. If you want this food, you eat, right? But there's a lot of things that get in the way of that, especially diet culture that says, oh, well, if you like dessert, that's bad for you. So when we have the craving for dessert, we go, oh, should I, should I have that? I don't know. So that's when we start to doubt ourselves. And that's how the influence of diet culture starts to take us away from these skills and and really erodes our ability to have a strong score on this scale. So again, I wanted to give you that idea of pretty much the opposite of dieting is intuitive eating. So we're going to talk about how diets take you away from this baseline that we are born with. This is how we're designed as humans to have functional digestive tracts, (laughs) our brains, our bodies, everything works together for us to be able to eat and digest food and attain health. You know, that's your body's baseline. It wants to have equilibrium. It wants to have health given its best chance. It's going to try to be healthy, right? It's going to try to heal itself, but diet culture gets in the way. And so this leads me into the reasons that dieting sucks. Cue the music. Okay. So the first reason (laughs) is that Increased dieting efforts lead to lower scores on the intuitive eating scale. So it is pretty well researched that when people engage in dieting and actively try to lose weight by changing their food, they, they score lower on the scale that I just talked about, the intuitive eating scale. So the thing about this is that people who score higher on the intuitive eating scale have a much higher level of self-esteem, higher well-being and optimism. They eat more variety of foods. Their body appreciation and acceptance is higher. They have better rates of good cholesterol. They have better, um, something called interoceptive awareness, which is basically your ability to understand your body's cues when you're hungry, when you're full, you're able to have better pleasure from eating. You have more proactive coping mechanisms and better psychological hardiness, unconditional self-regard and higher life satisfaction. Scoring high on the intuitive eating scale also shows a decreased eating disorder rate, lower triglycerides, less emotional eating, less self-silencing. We're going to get into that. Less loss of control of eating, less binge eating, less weight bias internalization, lower blood pressure, and lower body dissatisfaction. So 
There's a lot of things that happen when we start to lose the ability to eat intuitively and to be in touch with our body. So the things that I just mentioned, when we start dieting, they start to go in the opposite direction, right? We see a little bit more binge eating. We see more emotional eating and weight cycling, which we're going to get to later, can actually have negative effects on your health. Things that might affect your blood pressure, your cortisol levels, your stress levels, inflammation, et cetera. So this is one thing that's so interesting. Some, some, some figures that I found were that 49% of dieters experience post-dieting binge. So this is like what we call rebound eating. Imagine, I mean, food is a bodily need, right? We need fuel to live. So imagine if you held your breath, like when you breathe normally, you're breathing normally. When you hold your breath, we kind of do, after a long time, we kind of, right? We, we kind of have a gasp because your body needs to make up for the loss of nutrients, right? The loss of oxygen. Well, the lack of oxygen that was withheld from the body. It's a very similar thing when we diet and we don't get enough nutrients and our body's like, oh God, we got we to gotta rebound. We got to get, we got to make up for all those things that we didn't have access to before. So 49 people who diet experience this, right? That's one in two people. That's a very high percentage. Other figures that I found were that dieting women are 12 times more likely to binge than women who don't diet, right? 12 times more likely. That's pretty, that's pretty big, right? So that's the first reason that dieting sucks is it takes you away from this ability to trust your body. It takes this, the, the ability to listen to your body's cues away, right? So dieting takes you away from that intuitive eating skill set that you're born with. And what happens is you start to erode trust with your body and yourself. That's the reason number two, that dieting stinks because like I mentioned before, food is delicious. And so when we are given a set of like, you can eat these foods and you can't eat these foods or else you won't lose weight, etc. When you start to want to eat foods that are on the off limits list or the bad list, whatever, you start to not trust your body, right? So the more and more that you do this when you're hungry and you say, no, I shouldn't eat yet. I can, I can wait an hour or something like that, or I can wait till lunch, Right. What you're doing is saying, I see, I see the need that you have body and I'm going to ignore it. Right. So you start to erode trust with your body because you're saying, right. You, you, you don't trust the signals that your body is giving to you and you don't trust yourself. So the interesting figure is that more women who diet experience the pressure to diet. So either from social media, family members, etc. They are more likely to self-silence. So what this means is like I was describing before, they will silence or not pay attention to or ignore their physical sensations and not be able to take care of their body because they're not listening to sensations for hunger, fullness, sleep, stress, right? Self-care needs, but as well as emotional silencing, right? So this is why we, when we, when we break down this relationship to food, when we start to distance ourselves from our self-trust and our intuitive eating skill set, we see more emotional eating and we see this disability to actually listen to our body and what our body's telling us. So the other thing is that dieting is linked to higher eating disorder behaviors. So What's interesting is when I talk about this on TikTok last year, I got a huge backlash of people saying eating disorders aren't a big deal. And while it's true, if you look at numbers, it's about 10% of people who experience an eating disorder or will experience an eating disorder. There's three times as more people who experience binge eating than anorexia nervosa and bulimia combined, right? But as we talk about why dieting erodes trust with your body, maybe you can see why more people binge because there's a lot of reasons behind it, but binge eating is a little bit more prevalent. But I want to give you an idea of what this looks like because people are like, well, not everybody has an eating disorder, but there's a couple of things I want to say to that. Number one, eating disorders are clinically 
diagnosed. So you have to meet a set of clinical criteria. And many people don't meet that criteria because they don't binge three times a week for four weeks straight or something like that. That's off the top of my head. I don't know if that's completely true. But they might binge more often than not, right? Or somebody might fast a little bit more often than not. So we call that subclinical behaviors. So these can include binging, purging, abusing laxatives, and fasting for the purpose of weight loss. So you might be doing these things, but you may not actually meet the criteria for eating disorders, which is why I am a little bit passionate about it. I'm not saying everyone has an eating disorder, but I'm saying that you could have behaviors that aren't actually conducive to a positive relationship to food, but still not technically have an eating disorder. But this is also an interesting study. So studies show just short of half of Americans in 2018 reported to be dieting, right? So that's almost one in two people were dieting in 2018. Again, this is figures. It's probably, I assume it's similar. That's my perception. But again, that's my perception. 35% of those dieters will become hyper fixated on dieting and continue to diet in a hyper fixated way, right? So this isn't just like the loose, oh, maybe I'll go on a diet. It's like people who are really committed to it. So that's 35%. That's a little bit over one in three people. So 20 to 25% of the people who become hyper fixated on dieting will end up getting an eating disorder. So this is why I don't take dieting lightly is because given the right environmental triggers, it could lead to disordered eating and a hyperfixation on food. And again, it could lead to a full-blown eating disorder. So on top of the fact that for even if you don't have an eating disorder or fixation on food, it's actually not conducive to your health. The other thing that's interesting about eating disorders is that the rate has dramatically increased since the rise of social media. This is especially the case in teenagers, adolescents, and individuals from the ages 15 to 24, so that age group. One thing that I think is so interesting is that a study done on elementary school girls found that 40 to 60% of elementary school girls, so this is about 6 to 12 years old, we're already concerned about their weight status or feared gaining weight. So this is how prevalent it is in our culture that we associate like a higher weight with negative health or just negative biases, right? We're going to get into that. And this is why I'm, again, very weight neutral because weight doesn't directly indicate your health and it definitely does not indicate any influence on your personality, your strengths, your attributes, and somehow our diet culture has really ingrained that in us to the point where elementary school girls are worried about gaining weight. That's number three. Reason why diets suck is that dieting is linked to higher engagement in eating disorders. So reason number four that dieting sucks is that it gives you an unrealistic expectation about health and your weight. So a study advertising for weight loss products in 2001, so this is a little bit old, Again, I don't really think this has changed. Hopefully we've gotten better, but this is the study that I saw. Is that the study found that over 50%, more than half of the ads for weight loss products made false and unsubstantiated claims. But most people don't critically assess the ads that they see on TikTok or other social media or the ads that go on TV. Let me tell you, I am really glad that now that I haven't been to a gym for almost a full year now, when I see TV on at the gym, it's wild to me how many weight loss and dieting ads that I see. And because I'm in this field, obviously I'm like recording this podcast. So I'm a little bit more on guard for it, but most people are not critically 
analyzing, is this a true claim? Would this actually be realistic for me? Should I do this? Would this actually be good for health? What are, you know, what are the studies that they're actually using to support the evidence that I can lose 30 pounds in 10 days? And that's the other thing. The more that we see this message that you can lose 10 pounds in a week or something like that, it creates very unrealistic expectations. So when someone A is trying to lose weight and then doesn't lose weight or only loses a little bit of, of weight in like a couple days or in a week, they feel really bad about themselves. And if this is you, my heart goes out to you because we have this expectation where we see everywhere. I can't even tell you when I go to the store, I see magazines that are like, oh my God, this insane amount of weight is lost in this short amount of time. That's incredibly unrealistic, but it's something that truly sticks with you as you go throughout your day. And especially as I want to say women, social media and all this affects both men and women. I just see more studies on women. It definitely affects men. In fact, I've seen actually more recent studies come out about how detrimental social media is for men's eating disorders, which I didn't say this in the in number three, the eating disorder, but for men, eating disorders are actually have a higher rate of mortality than in women. And my personal opinion, again, this is my personal opinion, is that it's because it's not as acceptable just due to toxic masculinity for men to talk about problems with eating. And that's actually what I have found to be corroborated from opinions of men that I've encountered on TikTok. They have said like, you know, men face this too, because I don't think that there's as much, what is the word for it? There's just not as much awareness around men and having issues with eating and eating disorders and body image issues, et cetera. And I think that we could talk about it more openly because it's not someone's personal failure that you struggle with this. You literally live in a culture that is set up for you to feel bad about yourself. And it, it profits off of that, that insecurity that you have. So getting back to topic though, diets give you unrealistic expectations of what to expect for your health, et cetera. So we have these way unrealistic expectations for the amount of weight that we should be losing, that we should be losing weight in the first place. And it makes us again, not trust our bodies because we think that our bodies can't naturally regulate our healthy weight our hormones, our appetite, cravings, et cetera, without following a very strict diet. But again, going back to what we first talked about, your body can very naturally do that when given the chance. But as, as long as we're subscribing, the more that we subscribe to diet culture, we get farther and farther away from that sense of trust with ourselves. The other thing I'm going to talk about this later too, is that weight loss is actually a, is a stressor for your body. Again, not that it's bad or good. But if you think about it, it's stressful for your body. It's okay to lose weight, but we're not in a constant state of weight loss. That would be really taxing on your body. So it gives us this expectation that is really unreal and really unrealistic. But again, we start to judge ourselves based off of these unrealistic expectations that diets and diet culture give to us. Number five reason why diets suck is that it also convinces you that it is your fault. So it's very substantiated in the scientific community that 90 to 95% of dieting attempts will fail, quote unquote fail, because diets really fail us, right? It's very, again, diets are very unrealistic. It's set up for you to fail. So it's not because you lack willpower. It's not your fault that you just can't get yourself under control. Diets are literally not supposed to work. And this is the thing. Two thirds of dieters will likely gain more weight back than they lost. This is simply statistics. And again, if you're getting triggered by this, take a deep breath. It's, I want you to get angry. This is what the intuitive eating book says. The authors, I love them. Get mad at this culture that convinces you that it's your fault. It's so funny. People will make the the connection that diets hand you a faulty product in 
make you think it's your fault that it's faulty. (laughs) That's a funny way to word it. But they make you think that it's your fault that you failed. And that's how they get you to buy back in. They'll say, well, it's your fault. You didn't try hard enough. You didn't try the right one. But here's this one. It's working for a lot of people. It's giving them unhealthy and very unrealistic results, potentially unsubstantiated results, right? And then we think, oh yes, I'll buy back in. And that's how the the industry grows and grows and grows and becomes a 72 maybe plus dollar industry. And then it makes you feel like a failure. So every single time you resubscribe to a diet and then you inevitably fail because again, it's not your failure. It's not your lack of ability to do something. It's literally just designed. Like it works. You're not able to, to finish the diet or achieve whatever you want from it. And then you think it's your fault again. It's so interesting. So the thing that this does is it leads to weight stigma and it makes you think it's your fault. And it makes us as a society think that weight is the individual's responsibility, which is very interesting because the figures support that about 70% of your health and weight status has nothing to do with your individual actions. It's correlated to something called social determinants of health. These are things like access to healthcare, your socioeconomic status, your environment, all those things, right? 70%. Okay. Again, this is a general figure. The other 30% that is within individual control, only 10% of that, about 10%, again, general figures actually is made up of your eating and exercise behaviors. There's like a whole nother 20% that are things like, you know, how you breathe, how you sleep, right? Your general lifestyle. There's a lot of other factors that play into your health. Again, About 10% of it is you're eating and exercise, okay? But diet culture would like you to believe that it's 100%. I'm not saying that what you eat and how you move and your healthy behaviors aren't beneficial. We can do a lot with that, but it's not everything. So when we take this this, you know, big picture view, diet culture really wants you to get into this little rabbit hole that makes you think that it's A, your fault that you can't eat well and lose weight. And that it's the whole reason that your health is terrible. And it's like, no, right? There's so many other things. And hopefully sharing that makes you take the stress off of what you're eating. And when you take the stress off of what you're eating, you're able to rebuild your relationship to food, which is actually correlated with better health status in the long run, right? When you subscribe to this belief that you failed at dieting and it's your fault and you need to do it again, right? It's just putting you back in this cycle. And the, the studies have shown, the research that I have seen says that the more and more we try to resubscribe and lose weight, the more and more weight we're g- probably going to gain again. And so I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, but it leads to something called weight cycling. This is like yo-yo dieting, right? When you see your weight go up and down and up and down because the diet quote unquote worked until you went, went off of it and then you gain weight back. That's actually pretty, again, taxing for your body and it's not very healthy. So this leads to reason number six that dieting sucks. And that is the fact that diets glorify weight loss over health. So there are very few studies that show you retain health benefits from any diet you partake in for longer than one to two years. Okay. And this is the other insidious thing about dieting is that it makes it seem like you can change your health in 30 days. And even if you can sustain a diet for one year, or even two years, my hat is off to you. I can't even tell you because there's a lot of difficult behavior change that has to take place. You're really set up for failure when it comes to diets because the more changes you try to make at once, the less likely you are to succeed at keeping those habits in place and those actions in place. So most research shows that the benefits that you receive from dieting, so whether it's, you know, even if you do lose weight or other benefits that come in the form of, you know, your cardiovascular health, inflammation, blood sugar, et cetera, 
It doesn't last for more than one to two years with the exception of the Mediterranean diet, which basically is just including healthier fats into your diet. Okay. So that is one little asterisk that I have seen in the research, but in general, really, you don't get many benefits from dieting after one to two years. Okay. And what happens is again, like I talked about, it leads to weight cycling. So most people, if you do a diet, it quote unquote works because you lose weight while you're on it, but then you go off the diet and then you gain weight back. Two thirds of people, again, like I said, will gain more weight back than they lost probably try to lose it again. This is the continual cycle of gaining and then losing weight. It's associated with a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, a higher risk of diabetes, higher risk of inflammation. And that's not even taking into account the internalization of weight stigma, which is the belief that our weight is wrong or that we are wrong or bad fundamentally because of our weight and or the discrimination that you receive because of your weight or body size. This is just from the cycling of weight. Also, dieting can lower your metabolism. So I like to make the analogy that your metabolism is like a fire. <laughs> if you don't give it fuel, it's gonna, it's gonna shrink, right? So a lot of people think, oh, I'll just cut calories, my like I'll lose weight. But what happens is actually your metabolism shrinks, and that's when people quote unquote plateau. A lot of people lose weight because they'll cut off carbs or cut out carbs, and then you actually lose water weight because carbs help you store water in your body. So people plateau because they aren't storing water. They actually just lost water weight, or you actually start to lose muscle because your body in the absence of carbs will generally make the energy for your brain glucose out of proteins. Your, your metabolism slows long story short. It's like a fire. When you take the, the wood away, the fire is going to shrink, right? So we want to give your metabolism more fuel and the fire will grow. That's what we want. I don't want this to be an old doom and gloom, but it's one of those things that diet culture is not going to make this sexy. Like this is not a sexy fact from dieting, but it's one of those things where when we glorify weight loss over actually pursuing health, like only pursuing weight loss instead of pursuing health, and then maybe weight loss comes from it, right? There's a lot of negative things that can be associated with it. So I want to give you a quick break. Just take a deep breath in, deep breath out. So the shift from this, we're going to talk about some more reasons that dieting sucks, but as a quick shift, because I think we need it, it's a little bit of a halfway point. Instead of focusing on weight loss first, we want to focus on actually behavior-based practices that can improve your health. So things like focusing on eating a variety of foods, eating foods that we generally associate with health, things like eating fruits and vegetables, drinking your water, eating some whole grains, eating protein, eating some good fat, that's going to go a really long way for you. Focusing on how those things make you feel instead of saying, this is going to make me lose weight, right? That's a very externally driven thing. We want to focus on the internal driven journey, right? The changes that are internally driven. Okay. So after that break, you know, just saying we can, we can pursue health. Anti-diet doesn't mean anti-health. And I hope that you can see, oh, when we're pursuing weight loss for the sake of weight loss, it can actually be pretty detrimental to health versus when we look at what can we add into our lifestyle, our diet, i.e. what we eat on a day-to-day basis that will enhance our health. When we focus on the behaviors, it's actually more supportive of your health in the long run. So we're going to get into a little bit more of some societal reasons that dieting sucks. Number seven is that dieting can contribute to weight stigma and fat phobia for the reason that we talked about Diet culture makes you think that weight is your responsibility and an individual's responsibility. So that makes us have these negative associations with higher weight. 
So I'm not saying you shouldn't take responsibility for your health because I think the actions that we take for ourselves to support our health can be incredibly empowering. But when we foster these beliefs, we can start to project them out onto other people. And this leads to internal and implicit biases associated with higher weights. Now, this is actually pretty painful to think about, but there are actual studies that show this, like even practitioners that work with people of all sizes on a day-to-day basis, a lot of us will, a lot of us will have these unconscious and implicit biases, right? So as you listen to this, know that this is not true, but maybe just a, like take a little bit of a scan and assessment of yourself as I say this. People will associate a higher weight with a lack of willpower or lack of motivation or um, lack of capability, laziness, if you will, and also not being intelligent, right? So a lack of intelligence being dumb or stupid, okay? So the interesting thing is that people have done studies on these to show that people actually have an implicit bias. There's similar studies that have been done when it's like uh, like implicit racism, where people like you may not consciously believe this, but there's an internal implicit bias that you carry that you may not actually know on a conscious level, but then it shows up in our actions. So because of this, we have something called weight stigma, right? So the World Obesity Federation defines weight stigma as discriminatory acts targeted toward people due to their weight and size. So the unhealthy thing is that when we internalize this, and the interesting thing about the internalization of weight stigma is that you don't actually have to be at a higher weight to internalize weight stigma. So the BMI is not a great indicator of health, but it's simply a marker that studies will use to to indicate body size and weight, it doesn't matter what your BMI is. You can still suffer negative health effects from the internalization of weight stigma. So even at a normal weight, you can experience the effects of the internalization of weight stigma. And like I mentioned before, it also leads to fat phobia where people fear being fat or fear gaining weight because we have these, these implicit biases. And we have this idea that your weight directly correlates to your health, which as we know is actually untrue. It's false, but diet culture would would have you believe it's true. So because we have this idea of weight stigma and fat phobia, it really goes into the cycle of diet culture where we have negative beliefs about people in higher weights and it makes people fear gaining weight. People are discriminated against and it's kind of a way to actually oppress people because as we know, anybody at any size can can practice healthy behaviors, can have good health, they can be intelligent, right? But it leads to oppression because what I'm seeing a lot on TikTok and social media is that people in larger bodies will have their content taken down or flagged, even though it's something like someone who is in a thinner body or smaller body would say the same thing and it wouldn't be flagged as inappropriate. There's some very real consequences of medical malpractice and how the medical community will treat people at higher weights. And even in getting jobs because of implicit biases, if someone is perceived as not intelligent or capable to do the job just based off of their body size, right, it could lead to oppression and discrimination, right? So the reason I'm bringing this up, I'm sorry if this is painful to hear, but it's one of those things where I think it's really important that everyone checks their own internalized weight stigma, fat phobia, because that's not helpful for anybody. And studies show that weight teasing predicts weight gain, binge eating, and extreme weight control measures, right? So it just puts anyone who is on the receiving end of weight comments, especially derogatory ones, it can put them right into this loop of dieting and the dieting cycle, which as we are understanding really gives people negative health effects. There's not really anything positive that comes out of it. Number eight is that dieting sucks because it really, 
It fosters oppression. So the interesting thing is that when our bodies are undernourished, so an undernourished brain will have a higher fixation on food and body, lower self-esteem, more depressive symptoms, lower mental resilience and optimism, a lower sense of well-being. As we mentioned before, that's positively correlated with a intuitive eating, a strong intuitive eating score, right? So when we are low on the intuitive eating score, we have less mental resilience. We're not as confident. So if someone is in that state where they don't believe in themselves, they don't, you know, they don't think that they're worthy, they're not confident, they don't, they don't think that they can accomplish things. How are you going to speak up and be an activist or anything like that? So there's a book called The Beauty Myth that talks about this idea that it's a way to oppress anybody who engages in this system because it's hard to think critically, it's hard to look at a bigger picture and fight for something and just contribute, not even that you have to fight, but contribute to society in a larger way because when we're fixated on our bodies, it has all these negative mental and physical effects. And from the book, The Anti-Diet, written by Christy Harrison, um, this is just paraphrasing, but it's interesting. She does a study of history and dieting and it, historical periods correlated with women's liberation also correlated with the changing and narrowing of women's body standards and beauty standards, right? So anytime that women are like, yes, we're, we're going to be confident in our bodies. Maybe we're fitting into the beauty standard or we're rejecting it. Then it changes because the people at the top of this industry are people who are probably white and male, right? Someone who's benefiting from this system, right? One great question I see all the time on social media is whenever you feel insecure about your body or insecure about yourself, think about who benefits and who profits from that insecurity, right? One last thing I will lead you with is just some history. It's from the book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. And you can find all the links and all the studies linked below in the description of this podcast. So in this book, the author Sabrina Strings talks about how dieting and the concept of shrinking your body was, that's when it was first linked to moral superiority. I recently listened to a podcast that also found the historical account of, of nuns in a Catholic church. It was, it was like hundreds of years ago or something like that, but it was another example of restricting food as a way to increase a sense of morality. And that's exactly what diet culture does. It places this idea and fixation of thinness and correlates it with moral superiority. And so think about it. That actually resonates with me. I obviously reject it now because I can, I've identified it. I've understood that this thing that's, you know, been ingrained in me, but think about that when you think, oh, if I just lost weight, I would be better, right? So many of us have that internal process. And that is something that is drilled into us again and programmed into us from diet culture. And so getting back to the book by Sabrina Strings, it talked about how the only way that humans, you know, white settlers could, could justify enslaving other humans is if they portrayed them as animalistic, uncontrollable, gluttonous, etc. So the white settlers had to prove their moral superiority by showing that they could shrink their bodies by controlling what they eat, etc. So it kind of goes back to this to the roots of that where we we try to distinguish ourselves as better, right? Again, that's very problematic thinking when it's in this especially if it's in this racial setting of thinner is better, right? And it's not. So with recognizing diet culture, we just want to reject this idea that one body type is better than another and also not idealize a thin body. Again, thin bodies are great, but when we idealize it to a point where we 
we start to assign moral superiority based on body size, that's when we get into pretty dangerous territory. And hopefully as you've seen, it actually leads to a lot more detrimental effects on your health mentally and physically to idealize and to idolize this, this, I call it the skinny ideal, right? And this is exactly what diet culture is built off of. So Again, this doesn't mean that we're anti-health. We're just anti the system (laughs) that is telling you a thin body is morally superior, which it's not, and it's healthier, which again, it is not always the case. So, woo, friend, deep dietitian listener, I appreciate you bearing with me, but this is one of those things that it really, it gets my goat when people really subscribe to this, this culture where just pursuing weight loss for the sake of pursuing weight loss and to and to promote moral superiority or that you will be enough or that you'll be better just because you lose weight. It's not always the case. So as we close, I really want to circle back to my intention is that I wanted to show you that dieting doesn't lead to health. It's a very roundabout way and actually incredibly inefficient. And as we've seen, not a very substantiated way to achieve health, right? The way that we can do that is instead of measuring your, your standard of success by you know, your ability to follow a diet protocol or your ability to lose weight, actually focus on health cultivating behaviors. So dieting sucks, right? Just to recap, the reasons that dieting sucks is because increased dieting efforts are linked with lower intuitive eating scores. Number two, dieting erodes your trust with your body and yourself. Three, Dieting is linked to higher eating disorder behaviors. Number four, diets give you unrealistic expectations of health and weight. Number five, dieting convinces you that failing at a diet is your fault. Number six, dieting glorifies weight loss over health. Number seven, dieting leads to weight stigma and fat phobia. And number eight, dieting supports oppression based on body size. There you have it, friends. I know that this was a lot. I'm, v- I'm very curious to hear your reaction to this, whether this resonates, whether this is the first time that you've heard this or whether this is this is old news to you, but you're passionate about it and you're here for it. I, again, really hope that you took the message that dieting doesn't equate to health and anti-diet is not anti-health. In fact, being anti-diet is being pro-health, right? We are for health. We want to promote health. We don't want to decrease your mental well-being, right? I want you to have a very fulfilling life. I want you to feel satisfied with your life. I want you to feel happy with your body. I want you to feel mentally resilient. I want you to have self-esteem on top of having good health markers like blood pressure and healthy blood sugars and cholesterol, right? We want all of these things and you can have all of these things, but dieting is really not gonna lead you there. And again, I'm gonna point you back to episode eight, the complexities of weight loss as a continuation of this episode, because, or just to give you some direction of why the integrity of your journey matters, right? The integrity of your health journey matters. So trying to factor in things like health, health supportive actions around your diet, around sleep, around movement, around your life, right? Your lifestyle. There's a lot of things that go into your health, not just your food, right? I'm a dietitian. I obviously believe that food is a big part of your life and your health, but it's not everything. And I hope that this highlights for you the importance of having a good relationship to food and what that looks like. Again, just listening to your body for what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat, eating for physical reasons, 
instead of emotional ones and rejecting the diet message. So things like calorie counting, pursuing weight loss for the sake of weight loss and moral superiority or worthiness, right? All those things. And I think that when we subscribe to diet culture, it really creates this fight and this struggle with the scale, with our body, with food. And the way out of that is first thing, unsubscribe from diet culture, my friend. And number two, work on healing that relationship to food, healing your relationship to your body, increasing that body acceptance, and starting to have a little bit more appreciation for yourself and your body and allowing yourself that open-mindedness of what does health really look like? You know, what does health look like for me? What's a realistic health expectation? How can I be in it for the long run? You know, how can I be in it for the two year plus mark? That's what I'm here for. That's my wish for you. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for bearing with me. And I can't wait to talk to you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Deep Dietitians podcast. Michelle and I would love to connect with you over on Instagram. You can find us at deep dietitians and please DM us or take a screenshot of this episode and tag us in it. Let us know what you think. If you haven't already hit that subscribe button and share this episode with a friend, if you think they would find value in it, or if you yourself thought it was interesting, we look forward to talking to you on the next episode. And until then stay connected with yourself.